You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Welcome to episode 87 of the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. As always, I am coming to you from the Gulf Coast of Pensacola, Florida. Hopefully you all had a fantastic new year and a great start to 2016. I know I've really enjoyed this year so far. It's been kind of nice getting back into the swing of things with work, starting my first full-time job and all that fun stuff. So it's been a great start to the year, and this podcast will be no exception for a great start to 2016 because we are going to conclude our two-part interview with former comic book writer Roland Mann. And in this episode, you'll get to hear why he left the comic book industry, uh, appearing at conventions, how he became a teacher at Full Sail University, his novel Buying Time, so many cool things. And I thank Roland again very much for taking the time to do this interview. It was a lot of fun, and hopefully sometime down the line we'll get to do parts three and four. So hopefully you guys enjoy this interview, but before we get to it, I have a quick question for you. Are you looking for new original music? If so, you should check out Atomics, the brand new EP from my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, featuring the vocals of Joey Trincali. It has three brand new tracks, including their single Tomorrow's Plan, which is also the theme song of this very podcast. This EP is unlike anything the Unicorn Wranglers have done before, so support local music and check out Atomics, which is available now on iTunes and Spotify for only $2.97. You can also follow the Unicorn Wranglers on social media, like them on Facebook, follow them on Twitter and Instagram, at Wranglers, And don't forget to check out their website, theunicornwranglers.com. And without further ado, here is part two of my interview with Roland Mann. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience, and back here with us again for part two is former comic book writer Roland Mann. And Roland, I wanted to start off uh, the second part of the interview. Uh, We had mentioned at the beginning of part one that you were a teacher at Full Sail University. What was it that made you want to get into teaching? Well, um... I got mad at the industry, so um, we'll, we'll we'll give the the thirty second uh, after you know doing all the freelance stuff. Um, so I was doing all the freelance stuff. Uh, mostly, you know, sixty percent of my stuff was probably done through uh, Airsail, which is a, or, or I shouldn't say Airsail, Malibu, the different imprints of Malibu. I did Planet of the Apes, BattleTech, uh, a handful of stuff like that. Some some cool stuff, um, but. They were getting they were they were getting ready to start an in-house uh, product. They, they were getting ready to build a bullpen, and as a Marvel geek, as a Marvel zombie, I was like, "What really? You're going to build a Marvel? Well, I want to be part of that. <laughs> you know, it's like I I want to be part of it." And so they said, "Really? Well, we're you know we're going to be hiring editors, and and uh, you know we we need people to run it." I'm like, "Bring me out there, you know? I mean, I've been working with you guys. You already know me." Um, and two weeks later, they called and and, and made me an offer. And uh, so I did. I moved to California, became an editor, and uh, uh, this, w- this would have been, again, early 90s. So uh, Marvel bought the company in 94. I became a Marvel editor. Uh, they shut down everything in 96. The big crash happened uh, to the comic book industry. 
in general, not just you know, not just Marvel, but to everybody. You know, Marvel went bankrupt, I think, in '96, uh, which is again part of where you know where they they fired everybody. Uh, and I was one of those. I was one of one of 400 fired by Marvel in the span of two days. Um, so I tried self-publishing. It was a wrong time to do it, uh, just because the industry was in such a terrible shape. And I just kind of got mad at the industry as to kind of what I'd seen. I'd seen it become, you know, about gimmicks and less about stories. And and at the time, I, I you know, I didn't think a whole lot of Image. Image was putting these beautiful looking books out, but they had terrible stories. None of the artists could write. I, I guess uh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, Eric Larson was about the only guy who could write anything. But you know, McF- I did, in my opinion, McFarland couldn't write. Right, you know, Liefeld couldn't write. These guys couldn't write. They had beautiful looking art, but they just couldn't write. And so the industry had become about doing gimmicks. And even when I was an editor, part of the you know the mar- marketing department would come to me as like, we need you know this to, to happen in, in this book. You know, this is a gimmick we're going to do. We're going to you know we're going to put a bullet hole through your entire you know your entire. Uh, comic uh you know we need uh, we need three pages of uh, uh, babes in bikinis on you know in this book you know and it was all about the gimmick and, and less about the story and and uh, so i just got mad at the industry and in 2000 i just quit i'm just like i'm done i'm done i'm done with the industry and um go ahead oh uh, that that's kind of how i feel about uh the movie industry in a way i mean i've really? never worked in it but if, if you watch most modern day movies it seems more about the special effects the gimmick and not a good story because that's what mm-hmm. i love about movies mm-hmm. i my favorite thing about going to a movie or favorite aspect is just going to a theater sitting down and just kind of losing myself in the movie for you know an hour and a half or two hours yeah. however long it is because i love to invest in a good story yeah. and, and it's to me it's all about the you know the special effects these days, and I mean that usually the like the stories from the Marvel movies are are usually good, but yeah. I I feel like the majority of your big summer blockbusters are more about uh, visual and not about the story. Yeah, the the special effect takes precedence over the story. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, it, it, it's very much like that, and so I just I just quit. Um, and honestly, I, I I I quit without a plan. Um, uh, I didn't really, and part of it is because I lost so much money as a, a, a you know, from 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 basically from uh, when Marvel fired everybody in '96. So from '97 to about 2000, um, when I was uh, self-publishing. When I say self-publishing, I, I, I was publishing some of my stuff, but I was also, you know, I was a small press guy because I was also publishing other people, and I lost a lot of money doing that. Again, just you know, the wrong time, wrong thing. Um, and uh, so I was like, ah, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, we can't do this anymore because I can't afford it. Uh, you know, I, I still I still loved the the medium, but I, I hated what the industry had become. And so I spent uh, shy of a year working in a, an advertising agency. The guy who hired me told me he was going to uh, hire me to write for him. I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, I, I can do this. Is, you know, I can use my creativity to do that. But I ended up being a traffic manager. He really wanted me for my editorial trafficking skills. And so all I was doing was really trafficking stuff back and forth. I think in the in the ten months that I was there, I, I wrote a, a total of six radio spots, uh, and that was it. Um, so I decided to quit and go back to school and become a teacher. 
I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I enjoy doing this. And, and let me take kind of where that could, because it seems to come out of the blue, but it really doesn't, okay? So, so part of what my job was at Marvel, uh, or Malibu and Marvel, is I, I ran, uh, I, I basically, I created, conceived, and ran our intern program. Uh, we had a lot of grunt work around the office that we needed to do. I mean, we needed photocopies as we were growing. I mean, we needed photocopies. We needed this. We needed that, you know, and things like that. And not coffee, but we needed just work to be done. And my wife is in, uh, has been in higher education, you know, all of her entire career, career. And she's like, well, you know, why don't you get interns? I'm like, yeah. She said, no, you can get college interns. And so I'm like, you know, that's actually a really good idea. And so, you know, I pitched the idea to the, 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 the four founders of Malibu, and they're like, okay, well, you know, here's what we, here's what we've got to run this through legal, make sure that we're doing it all legally right, blah, blah, blah. And so I just, they just let me run with it. And so I began to bring in interns and began to use them to, to, to make photocopies. And, and, you know, as we began to grow, we're like, okay, well, you know, we need an, we need someone to do some, you know, not assisting editing, but editorial assisting. So we had like levels. We had, uh, our, our senior editors were at the top. Then we had our, our line editors. Then we had editors. Then we had associate editors. Then assistant editors. Then editorial assistants. And you know, obviously, the, the higher up you got, the more responsibility you had. Right. And so uh, we had uh, one of our first interns. Like, you know, this this guy would make a pretty good editor if we could, you know, if we could get him trained and, and taught, you know, because he he's a hard worker. He does, you know, blah blah. blah. And they're like, well. Why don't we bump him up to? Uh, why don't we hire him as one of our editorial assistants? Like, okay, and then they're like, okay, and you train him. Like, okay, I can do that, you know, because I already like the guy. You know, we already, you know, we already had a relationship, and so you know, we bumped the guy up to editorial assistant. I had to find another intern. To, to, so essentially, the 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 you know the last two years there, I spent training a lot of these guys to do, you know, all of our office work. You know, here's here's how you know you, making photocopies is not hard, but. Well, here's what you, you you know what you need to do with them after you make photocopies. You know, he needs his copies. They need their copies. They need these copies. You need to make sure you mail copies. You know, just just that kind of thing. A lot of a lot of stuff like that. Um, and I found I enjoyed it. I, I found that I actually enjoyed working with these these people who were interested in doing what we were doing and teaching them how to do it. So it was really kind of a, it didn't really just come out of nowhere. So if I you know if I never tell that story, then oh I just decided to teach. Well that's kind of weird. You go from you know writing to teaching English. Right. Um, yeah. So so there there was there was sort of a precedent there. And so yeah. So I went back in in uh, in 2000. I went back and earned a master's degree in um, in English uh, with the intent of teaching English at the college level. And I began to, to do that in 2003. Uh, taught you know. Uh, English comp, sophomore literature. Uh, I taught um, uh, English as a second language. Um, but my the university, one of the universities, I was an adjunct, so I was never I was never hired as a full time. So one of the things of the university I was teaching at, I really wanted to teach creative writing. Obviously, for all the obvious reasons, right? I had the experience in the industry and blah blah blah. I just I just you know enjoy it. But they, the director, uh, the department chair said, well, you know, we've got a guy. I'm like, yeah, I know. And, and, and if we ever just, you know, if we ever need someone else to, to do it, I know we've got a guy. But, you know, I'm interested in maybe give me a shot. Maybe if he goes on vacation, let me do it on the off, you know, the off semesters that he's doing, you know. And he's like, well, you don't have any publishing experience. And I'm like, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Yeah, yes, I do. You know, I spent from, you know, I spent an entire decade. In the publishing industry, you know, I, I've sold stories to, you know, to, to publishers. I've self-published myself. I mean, yeah, I mean, I do. It's like, yeah, but that's all in comic books, right? 
And I was like, yes, but, and I'm just going to call him Mr. Brown, but, but Mr. Brown has a book. Yeah, but it's not published, but he's written a book. Yeah, but I've got all this published work. Yes, but Mr. Brown has written a book. Well, I've got a book, too. It's sitting on my computer, and nobody's, nobody's bought it. I, therefore, we're equal, but I have all this other published work. Yeah, but it's all in comics. Uh, it was then I realized comics carried zero clout in the academic world. Um, and this, keep in mind, this was you know 2003, and I, I do believe things are changing. Obviously, I'm teaching a comic writing class. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even that said, my class is only two years old. Um, and there aren't very many comic writing classes that I'm aware of in the U.S. Now, there are some that will teach um, like a reading – You know, we're going to study the graphic novel, and they'll have you read some and study it You know, as a more literary uh, uh, role in the English department. I get that. Um, but you know, it's a little bit different. So um, so that's, that's one of the things that frustrated me considerably. And, and so I, I began to consider – a PhD at the time. I'm like, okay, well, if I can get a PhD, maybe then they'll let me, you know, teach some of this other stuff. Uh, and I also started writing prose because I'm like, okay, if Mr. Brown has a book. Well, then, you know, I got a book too. I need to say, you know, I've got a book, or maybe I've got a publisher, or blah blah blah. Um, and I, again, I, I hadn't really didn't touch, you know, comics at all. You know, I hadn't read comics at all since about 2000. Since about 2000, maybe 2001 ish. Um, but another job uh, came up, and so I moved to Arkansas to take a newspaper editor position. <laughs> and um, because you know, I just felt like I wasn't going anywhere where I was, and I was I, the, the guy who was department chair was still there, and I just didn't. I was like, all right, I'm not going. I'm going to always be teaching this. He's never going to give me the opportunity because I, you know, my experience is in quote unquote comic books. Um, so um, the newspaper job lasted for – it's about 2006 to 2007. Oh, no, no, that's not right. Yeah, it was 2006 to 2007. Um, we moved to – from Arkansas then back to Mississippi where I lived. I moved into Oxford. My intentions moving there was I'm going to go there and I'm going to apply and get into the, the PhD program at uh, the University of Mississippi because I have a, my undergraduate degree is from Southern Miss – um, I thought, oh, this would be great, you know, if I could get another Mississippi school because I'm a proud Mississippian. Um, I was doing freelance in in the two set 2007 year. I was doing freelance uh, editing for DC Comics. Uh, just a fluke. Uh, one of the guys that I knew back from the Malibu days is now an editor at DC, and he said, "Man, I'm so overworked. I need to hire you to do some some translation edits." And so, sure. So I did some freelance edits for, for them. I stumbled upon a publisher in India that was looking for someone to do a, a an adaptation of Huckleberry Finn, which is a book that I used in my um, composition class. Huckleberry Finn is one of my all-time favorite books. Mm, it's a very good and, book. Yeah, well, I, I, to, in my opinion, one of the certainly one of the top five uh, you know great American novels. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And so, you know, they were looking for an edit, and I'm like, ah, you know, I'm done with comics, but oh, this is Huckleberry Finn. And so I sent my stuff in. They're like, oh, we'd love to have you, blah, blah, blah. I wrote the script. Um, supposedly, they fell in love with what I did and began to hire me then as a consultant for what they – for because the, they had a budding company. They didn't know what they were doing. And so it, it ended up being me and Howard Mackey, who is a, uh, a longtime Marvel editor. A lot of folks probably know him from Ghost Rider. 
um, he and I ended up being the, the two consultants to help them to create their editorial guidelines. Well, as soon as they as soon as they were done, uh, they fired both of us. <laughs> it's like wow. Okay, yeah, we know how to do it now. Thank you for your help. Um, but I used to always tease uh, at the time. Like, oh, look, I'm being outsourced by India. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so anyway, um, but in that time, I was still trying to. I was still looking at my PhD. I had been rejected by by the University of Mississippi primarily because, and they told me this off the record, uh, my work was all in comics, and they didn't they did not think that there were any there there was nothing respectful or literary about comics. So it's kind of like your entire career is preventing you from getting another career. Exactly, that was exactly it, and so I, you know I was pretty I was pretty disheartened, and, and so I drove down to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, to talk with the uh, to the director of the PhD program there. Um, had a long conversation with him, went ahead and submitted my pa- paperwork, got accepted into the PhD program there. But during my conversation with him, he asked me, he said, what do you want to do? He said, why are you getting this PhD? I said, you know, I, I've got a master's. I can already teach at the, at the, you know, teach English at the university level. I said, but what I really want to do is be able to teach creative writing. And he just told me, he said, well, you don't need a PhD. I said, well, no one will hire me with, with my master's because of my comic work. He said, well, you need an MFA. He said, it's, it doesn't take you as long, and, and when I'm doing my hiring to, to, to hire creative writing professors, an MFA is equal to a PhD. I'm like, okay, so hold on now. You tell me if I earn an MFA and apply to your school, and someone who has a PhD applies to your school, you're going to look at us as equal? He says, I'm going to look at your degrees at equal, as equal. He says, what I will do then is, is explore your, your published works. And if you have the PhD, if you have an MFA, but someone else has a PhD, I will look at the two of you as equal. And everyone who hires creative writing instructors does that as well. It will be your work that makes the difference. Um, so I opted to earn a, an MFA, and then I spent the next uh, three years earning an MFA from Spalding University in uh, Kentucky. And um, when once I earned my MFA, I literally I finished in May and I started uh, at um, uh, Full Sail in 2011, and I was teaching creative writing. That's crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. Uh, but I, I'm glad you know that it, it <laughs> that it did work out because I mean it's that's crazy that like I was saying a second ago your your entire career was kind of hindering you or you know stifling you from getting the second career that you wanted and you have written so much over the years that it was like it it all counted for nothing it but, really but was it all, but it all worked out though it did it all worked out and i do i do believe the world is changing i believe i do believe that that academia is is changing and I'm beginning to have um uh, to hold comics in some regard and and i really believe that uh you know the the movies and things like that have helped uh, they bring it, you know, to the the attention of the culture at large, and they're almost being forced to say, "Okay, look, this has such an impact on our culture. We really need to look at some of these things." Um, and so, obviously, you know, Mouse winning the Pewter Surprise um, it goes a long way as well. Um, but yeah, so uh, so now I, I, I my my day job is uh, teaching. And I still do comics. Uh, I do them for fun now because I enjoy them. I do them because I love the medium, and not because I'm 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 trying to pay my bills uh, through through any sort of uh, you know being an editor or being a, a freelance writer. 
Now, one other thing I did want to ask you, and, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned you still do comics, because uh, have you ever been to any comic conventions? I know we were talking about cons earlier. Do you ever go to any? You know, it's funny. I went from about 1988 to about uh, 2000. Man, I was at about six to eight cons every year. I went to um, I went to San Diego Con just about every year in the 90s. Uh, so I've got uh, about nine years straight of San Diego Con. Um, but when I quit comics in, in you know 2000, I think the last show I did was in 2000. I didn't go to show again until 2009, and that was after the Huckleberry Finn thing happened. I'm like, you know, I got another book out. Memphis, um, there's some guys in Memphis that I know. So I contacted them and said, hey, you know, I got another comic book out. You, you guys looking for any comic book guests? Like, yeah, yeah, come on up, yeah. So I went up to the, and, and did the, the Mid-South Con. Man, I had a blast. I had so much fun. I'm like, yeah, you know, now I remember that comics were fun. And so the next couple of years, I did a few shows, just, you know, here and there. Um, but last year, uh, I... I started the conversation with WizardCon and uh, basically made a deal with them where I'm doing six wizard shows over the, the span of like, I've already done two of them. And then in 2016, I'll be doing more. I did um, Nashville. I did um, Fort Lauderdale. I'm going to do uh, Atlanta wizard show in January. Um, you'll forgive me for not knowing the dates of these, uh, but I'm going to do Greenville, South Carolina wizard show. I'm going to do, um, oh, crap, one in North Carolina. Uh, and then Wizard is certainly, they're coming here uh, to here to Orlando uh, at the end of the year. So that's that's the other four um, that I'll be doing. And I do I do other shows. I was just invited to a, uh, um, uh, let me get the name of this right so that I can uh, do those guys justice. They've been very good to me. Um, Lebanon, I'd never done a, a, a show in Missouri at all. And, uh, I mean, never. Um, Lebanon Megacon, uh, which is in March uh, 30th and May 1st. I will be uh, a comic book guest in Lebanon, Missouri. Um, so, so to answer your question, yes, I still do shows. Uh, I've been doing the Orlando Megacon here for the last uh, three years um, because it's very local. Um, I do a lot of the local ones uh, that are very easy for me, you know, to get to. Um, but I love to do shows. Uh, I like to say, I think I, we mentioned to you off the air. I've heard that uh, Pensa, uh, the Pensacon is a pretty good show, mm-hmm. uh, so it's certainly uh, certainly on my radar. Uh, I always tell, and, you know, there's a, there's a big thing. I don't know how how you how much you follow a lot of creators on, on online or Facebook and stuff like that. But you know, there's some, there's some talk up now about uh, uh, comic creators wanting to charge for uh, for con attendance, and a lot of this comes because of the the kickback from the media guests are all getting all this stuff, and, and comic you know comic guys are kind of being ghettoized. Uh, you know, for me, I've always been I've always told people, you know, I'm one of the easiest guests that you can get. You, you you get me there, you put me in a room, give me a spot to sell my product. I'm a pretty happy dude. <laughs> you, you know, it's like you don't have to do anything really special for me. You don't you don't even have to feed me. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty laid back. Uh, you know, I don't need, you know, a hundred bucks. I don't need 500 bucks, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I, I very much enjoy going to shows. Part of it for me is, it's, it's a multiple thing. I enjoy going to, um, 
first to, to meet all the other creators who are there because you know shows are full of creators and I like to I like to socialize with the people who like what what you and I like right right so talk about how bad you know Dark Knight uh, three was the, the movie <laughs> uh, but yet how good Spider Man two was because of, of Doctor Octopus you know we can talk about that and and not have people flash weird looks at us um, but I also I like to, to you know I like to to meet fans I like to you know one of the the coolest things for me is to go to a show and this happens generally wants a show. Um, you know, I'm not Marv Wolfman. I'm not Chuck Dixon. I'm not these guys that, that have, you know, 100-issue runs of things. But it's still kind of cool when somebody brings up something and they say, oh, you know what, I've been holding this show. I bought this, this comic book, you know, in 1993 when it first came out, and I absolutely loved it. You know, can I have your autograph? You know, that just kind of makes a show worth it. I don't know if you feel the same way about conventions, because I've only been going since 2013. There was a... It's not Pensacon, but there's a smaller convention that's held in Pensacola every August, and uh -huh. that was the first con I'd went to. Really, it's it's almost addicting, kind oh, of, to, to, so. to go <laughs> to go to conventions. And since then, I've been to uh, I went to Dragon Con that yep. same year, which was huge. That that's like a whole other world experience. Yes, it, it is. Because I've my. Uh, Nerd Cave podcast co-host, I tell them even if we go as fans, we need to just go for one year because they yeah. they've only been to uh, Pensacon. Uh, there's one in it rotates in Alabama as far as the location, but it's called Fanaticon. This okay. year it's going to be in uh, in Ozark. So that that's you know like a, a bit of a smaller convention, but they've never right. been to a big one like Dragon Con, and it, yeah. that was just and that was even. Uh, when I went to Dragon Con was when I first really had got into podcasting. So like I didn't have the mindset of, you know, oh, I've got to try and get interviews with, you know, such yeah. and such guest. I just I went as a fan. Yeah. And it, it's, but it's a great place for you to go and, and meet people and say, hey, look, you know, here's my card. I do a podcast. You, you know, you interested in coming to talk to me? Yes, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of what we do. And I mean, even through that, we we'll meet random people or if there's a convention that we have a table at, people will come up to us and we'll talk about Batman or mm -hmm. the X-Men for 20 minutes. I mean, it, That's right. we, we, we just went to a convention in Fort Walton beach and there, these people kept coming back and we would talk about, you know, Dr. Who or some type of video game or really anything like that. We just, it, just even getting to meet new people is yeah. fun. It is. It really is. And, and, and part of it is, you know, we go back to the start of our conversation. You know, I said, you know, I was that kid in, in, in high school that had to hide my comic books, um, you know, when I was reading them in school, which I should have been studying. I get that, you know, but I was reading comic books. The, the, the thing about comic book conventions is this is the place where you don't have to hide the fact that you love Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the place that you don't have to hide the fact that you love Doctor Who because everybody there, you know, has some sort of you know, equally geeky equivalent. Right. And, and and it's it's you know it's a little bit like uh, you know being surrounded by family a little bit. Yeah, I, I would I would absolutely agree. I mean, it's one of those you know you could be a complete stranger when you meet someone, but within seconds you're having a conversation like you guys talked for hours or you've known each other for years because exactly. you have the same interests, you have that much in common. That's that's right. And, you know, it works the same way, you know, with creators. I, I met a guy for the first time. Uh, you probably know, you know who Frank Thierry is? I do not. 
Yeah, okay. He he's, he does a lot of work for Marvel. I met him about two years ago at uh, MegaCon. But Frank knows a, a lot of the same people that I know. Because Frank got into the industry kind of after I got out. But he knows a lot of the same people. So I felt like, okay, I know you because you know this guy, 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 this guy. You know, you know all these people that I worked with and spent a lot of time with. So I know you. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just kind of that way. No, absolutely. Uh, one thing I, I did want to ask you, uh, or a couple more things before okay. we before we uh, before we close out the interview. Uh, when I was, you know, reading your bio, I noticed that you wrote a novel. I did. Yeah. So can you, can you tell me a little more about that? Sure. I've actually, you know, I told you that, that, that point in time where you know I quit comics and and started talking about the whole, uh, you know, getting more academic kind of thing. I, that's I, I didn't stop writing. I just stopped. Um, I just started writing. Well, actually, I stopped writing for a little while. Um, but you know, once I got back into it, I wanted to write prose. So I've actually completed, believe it or not, three novels, and I have a, a fourth one that's uh, I've got about forty thousand words on. Um, the, the the my most recent one is uh, what I would call my more quote unquote literary one, but uh, it's just it's a YA novel about a young superhero in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, my first novel, though, it was published by a little house in in Oxford, Mississippi, which is where I was living at the time. I'd sent it around uh, a little bit, but it's uh, it's essentially a it's called Buying Time. And I will tell you this: it became more of a uh, it's not a romance book by any stretch of the imagination, but there is if you read it, there's more romance in there than I intended because uh, it just it just kind of happened. The the story is basically uh, if you had the chance to relive a part of your life, would you? If you could go back and 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 you know catch that touchdown winning pass that you dropped in the in the playoffs uh, in your high school football season, would you do that? And if you could do that, should you do that? Because if you go back and redo something, some part of history, how does that change what's happening now? Mm-hmm. And what are you what are you trying to say about about your life? You know, since that time, has it been a mistake? Has it been an accident? Um, this is sort of the concept that the, the two – there are two primary characters in the story, uh, two men, uh, completely different uh, completely different men. Uh, this is kind of uh, the predicament that they're, that they're both set with, and they, they – a, a tragic accident brings the two of them together. They're then approached by the guy who wants to sell time, sell the time back to them. The problem with this, though, is that um, time travel is addictive. So, for instance, if you decide, yes, I do, in fact, want to go redo that uh, that last week of my high school year because it was a blast and I'm not going to break up with the love of my life and I'm going to catch the touchdown pass. Um, you buy that week, a week and a half comes off the end of your life. So your time costs time and a half. But here's the deal. You never know. I mean, you don't obviously know how long you're going to live, so you're just losing a week and a half at the end of your life. And it's addictive, so it's very much like a drug. And so you're slowly killing yourself. As you continue to travel back in time, you're just slowly killing yourself. Um, the intent for this when I started writing it was to sort of, you know, uh, I wanted to sort of have this this sort of anti-drug message, um, you know, with some cool science fiction elements in it. Now, I don't get deep into the science fiction. It's not, it's not a heavy science fiction. I love science fiction, but I don't get deep into the science fiction elements. Um a long story short, and I won't give I won't give it away. Is is the the, the, the whole thing away? Is that 
one of the primary characters loses his wife. And much of the book is spent him trying to undo that event. And what ends up happening is that 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 relationship is the quote the love story in the in the in the book. And so this is when I say, you know, I didn't set off to write romance of any type, but it, it works its way in there through these two characters. And um yeah, so so that's my story called Buying Time. Yeah, that that sounds like an interesting take on the whole time travel story because I, 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 as far as science fiction, I'm not like a a diehard science fiction fan, but I do like a good time travel story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my favorite aspect of, I guess, what you would call it a part of science fiction. Yeah, but and of course, Doctor Who fits right into that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's uh. And I love that, you know, in every time travel story, or at least a good bit of them that I've read, there's always some type of consequence yes. to time travel. It's like that old saying, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's right. So yeah. that that's a really cool take on on the cost of time travel. Well, so thank I, you. I'll definitely have to uh, I have to look more into it and uh, and purchase a copy. Well, you just let me know, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll be sure to take care, good care of you. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> I I used to be a big reader when I was younger, but I kind of got out of it through high school. And you know, yeah. every now and then, like if there's a book that really catches my eye, I'll read it. But I don't read as much anymore. But I, I definitely yeah. love to check it out. Yeah, I I don't read near as much as I used to, um, and so I, I'm I'm a little more discerning in, in the stuff that I read, and so I'm very careful to listen to. Uh, friends of mine who I trust, uh, you know, for instance, Barry's recommended a couple of books to me that I've got to I've got to check out, and you know, some some other friends when they say, oh, you know, you need to go read this, and and so I kind of make me a little list, and and the, I guess the last two really good books, if I were to make any recommendations to you, the last two good books that I read uh, came to me via recommendation. Uh, one is uh, Ready Player One. Uh, I've heard that's a great book. That is very very much a great book. Now I, I will say this: it was, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a child of the '80s. And I think Ernest Klein probably is a child of the 80s, too, because everything in that book um, re- re- references the 80s, whether it's the music, the video games, the the hairstyles. It's all about the 80s. So I think for me, that's part of what the draw was, is that you know, they were doing this uh, this big game, this big, uh, basically a big uh, – it's a quest, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a video game quest. And it's all related to 1980 stuff. So, uh, so that was that was part of what really drew me. It's a very good book, and I do highly recommend it. Um, the other one is by um, uh, Patrick Rothfuss, and it's uh, The Name of the Wind. Um, it's part of a it's part of a trilogy. I've only read the first two. I haven't read. I don't even know if three is out yet. But the the first book, second book is is good, but the first book is really good. Um, and so I, I do highly I highly recommend that. Awesome. Yeah, I, I actually got uh, – I, I subscribed to Loot Crate, and in the first Loot Crate box that I got actually had a copy of Ready Player One. Really? Yeah, that was one of the giveaways they did. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, you got to read that. Yeah, I, I'll definitely have to, to add that to the list. But And uh, last thing I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give to anyone who says that they want to be a writer? Uh, okay, so here's here's the here's what I always say. Okay, I, I can I can't tell you the number of people uh, who come up to me and, and they tell me they they want to be a writer. And so I ask them two things, right? Two questions. I probably ask them more than that. But these are the two that I can think of right off the top of my head. Number one is, do you write? Right? 
And, and that answer has to be yes. You've got to write all the time because writers write, mm-hmm. right? If you're a dancer, what do you do? You dance. You dance, right? If you're a dancer, you dance. If you're a writer, you write. Um, you know, if the answer is well, you know, I, I write when I can find the time because I'm just so busy. Then I tell them, okay, well, maybe writing is not for you because you've got to write all the time. You got to be driven to write. Um, and the second thing is, you got to read. Um, you have to read to know what's going on. And 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 I'll give you this example. Okay, let's say. Uh, let's say, Derek, that you wanted to be a science fiction writer, since we talked about science fiction so much. Mm-hmm. And I say, great, man, that's fantastic. Lots of good science fiction out there. Uh, and, you, and then you, and then I say, okay, well, so have you read Dune? No, I haven't read Dune. Okay, so have you read uh, A Moat in God's Eye? No, I've not read A Moat in God's Eye. Okay, so have you read uh, The Integral Trees? No, I've not read The Integral Trees. Okay, well, here's what you got to do, Derek. If you're going to be a science fiction writer... You've got to know what's come before. You've got to read science fiction. You've got to read science fiction because what you're doing is you're entering a conversation. Okay, mm-hmm. you're entering the science fiction conversation, and this can work with any genre, horror, you know, uh, mystery, whatever. Um, you're entering a conversation that's been going on, and 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 I won't get into you know I'm not one of these that's going to argue. Well, you know, science fiction began with this. I don't know when it began. I always tend to say Frankenstein, but. You know, we've been reading science fiction, you know, since at least the 1890s in some form or fashion, uh, maybe even before that. But I'm not saying you have to read it all, but you've got to read some of the highlights there because if you're going to enter this conversation, you need to know what we've said. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what we've said, you're going to enter the conversation and you know exactly what happens. If you're standing there talking to a buddy of yours for 20 minutes and somebody walks up and they start rehashing all the things that you've already spent 20 minutes talking about, they look like idiots, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, dude, we've already said all this. This is exactly the same thing that happens if you don't read. You look like the person that, that, that is entering the conversation, and you say, dude, we've already said all this. It's a very yeah. good analogy. Yeah. So those are the two things that, that, that I always say. you know, you got to write, and you got to read. Um, you know, Some people tell you, read everything. And I, I get that. I understand. I certainly think that the writers should read a lot of nonfiction. But uh, if you're going to write in genre work, if you're going to write mystery, then you need to read mystery. You know, you need to know what's 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 going on. You need to know what has been said in the conversation, so you don't you know repeat that information. Oh, definitely. I, and that's 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 really good advice. And I mean that that could transfer over to really any form of media, like you know, film. Like my my instructors always used to tell me, watch old that's film. Right. Yep. Because then you you will know what came before you, and you will appreciate what you have now. That's right. So it's it's really you know it's the same thing, and I mean I, I think that's I think that's phenomenal advice. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, I guess that's why I'm a teacher, huh? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, how can people find you uh, on social media, and do you have a, a website that you like to plug? I absolutely do. If you'll uh, yeah, if you'll let me run down my little list, I would appreciate oh, that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm really easy to find. Uh, obviously, um, if you want to, f- I blog. I try. I haven't blogged in about a month. I try normally to blog about once a week, usually about writing stuff, comic stuff, uh, maybe some projects I'm working on. You can find me at uh, uh, www.rollandman.me. Rollandman.me. Um, you can also find me on uh, Facebook at uh, Roland Man Author. Oh, let me make sure this is Roland Man Author. It might be Author Roland Man. I always forget what that is. Uh, it's Roland Man author, yeah. 
Um, is all, you know, no spaces, R-O-L-A-N-D-M-A-N-N-A-U-T-H-O-R. I am on Twitter at ManRoland. No spaces. And that's pretty much it. I guess I do have Instagram and some of that other stuff, but um, I, I, I stick mostly to Facebook and the, my blog and Twitter. So, Fantastic. Well, in closing, I, I would like to say uh, thank you very much for coming on the, the show to do the interview. It was, it was fantastic. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for having me. As, uh, as you can see, I, I do like to gab. So, oh, it's uh, all good. It's all good. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a conversation show. So, well, good. It, to to use a uh, to use a corny teacher joke, I give you an A plus for the interview. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. That that, that makes my night. Uh, uh, thank you, Roland. Yeah, thank you so much. My thanks again to Roland Mann for that phenomenal interview. It's always fun talking comics. Always fun talking nerd pop culture type things. And be sure to follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and check out his website. And be sure to come back to this show next week for my exclusive interview with star of Mallrats and soon-to-be Mallrats 2, Jeremy London. And this was a really fun interview to do, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also follow me on social media. Like me on Facebook, just search for The Derek Diamond Experience, also at NerdCave Network. And follow me personally on Twitter at Derek underscore Diamond. And the show page is at DDE underscore podcast. And that's it for this week, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back next Thursday. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.